Wow, it's dusty in here. Hello and welcome to Mac Bites episode 17. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. Rumours of our podcasting retirement were greatly exaggerated and yet again we're back and as you can see you can't get rid of us that easily. Uh, this episode we're going to be talking about where we've been hiding, Apple's changes to one-to-one training programme, software prices and Apple Care might just get a little mention. But where have we been again? We've been on Twitter. Probably True. probably too much True. for our own good. That that oh, that sadly is also true as well. But there has been more than that. Um, there's been the usual work. And sadly for me, an enforced hospital stay. Cue death march, march music. Thank you. And even worse, I know, could it get worse than being in hospital? For an ex-medical negligence solicitor? Answer to that is no. Uh, a doctor's directive to have a minimum of three months bed rest, which sounds great, but isn't good at all. Anyway, I've done all that, and yes, deep breath, I managed my entire hospital stay without my Mac. And if you want more details of how I managed to do just that by uh, using only my tech-enabled nighty and my secret stash hidden underneath said nighty, you need to listen to an interview that I did um, in late January, early February, with David Allen from the Mac 20 Questions podcast. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that. And in that, I revealed just what was hidden under my nighty for the duration of my hospital stay. And uh, the Mac 20 Questions uh, wasn't the only moonlighting you've done during our break, was it? Oh, dear. Guilty as charged. Yep, I've been on the International Mac Podcast too and had great fun with the Imp team. Been on there several times. So um, I shall put a link to them as well. And uh, if you want more of me, and who doesn't, then you can go listen to Imp Podcast. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Point is, we're back. We're back and we've got a lot to catch up with. So what's next? I think going first should be Tales from the Rebuilding Trenches. Mm, yeah, I decided uh, last month when I was uh, taking a week off for Easter that it would be a good idea to rebuild my iMac. I had a few problems As with you it. do. Well, you know, I've had it, what? Well, I've had it three years and I haven't rebuilt it since Leopard. And uh, so, yeah, I was having a few problems. It was slow. Uh, it was beach balling a lot more than I thought it should be on Safari and Mail. And uh, one of the other problems I had, although I didn't realise at the time, but having rebuilt it, the problem went away, was that iTunes failed to play DRM-enabled videos. Do you remember the uh, 12 Days of Christmas uh, thing that they did? I do, yeah. It was a free thing every day, wasn't it? A video or a song? It was. Well, I think I only bothered downloading two or three days because when it got to the videos, I was finding that it wasn't running. What it was doing is it was letting me download them. It was uh, saying that it was downloading OK. And when I came to run them, I was just ending up with a grey screen. And I thought, you know, this is really strange. Yes, it's DRM, uh, but yes, it's on my account. And um, it's there's just something not right here. So I actually gave up. I thought, I'm never going to be able to run these videos. That was actually no great loss, but carry on. And so what I did is I, uh, I did some research and I found that other people were having the problem as well. And I just forgot all about it. But then when I had rebuilt the Mac, I, uh, I actually found that they did play. And it wasn't just those videos as well. There were other videos that I had that just wouldn't play. So, you know, no idea what it is. If anyone out there can enlighten us, that'd be great. I remember you tried logging out, logging back in, updating iTunes, and none of that worked. A bit radical to have to reinstall the operating system to fix it. It is. I mean, as I say, I, I, I totally forgot about it. And it was only after I'd rebuilt the machine and I ran iTunes. And I thought, oh, I wonder if it will actually work and... Uh, and play these videos and it, and it did so you know it it's fixed a lot of problems it's uh it's it's been good it it also meant that i could actually go through a list of all my applications and actually you know pare down some of them i thought i'd actually be able to get rid of more than i did but when i actually looked at my list of applications I thought no i want to put that back i want to put that back i want to put that back i want to keep that use that might use that now and again and i think i got a rid of about three or four that i never use Oh, three or four out of hundreds, well done. Mm. Mm. Uh, I did a rebuild as well, so uh, I know where you're coming from with that. 
But you had hardware to play with as well, didn't you? I did as well, yeah. I, I upgraded the RAM. Uh, it was uh, one and a half gig, and we upgraded it to two gig. And uh, that was actually a fairly straightforward process, wasn't it? Uh, it was. That machine actually originally shipped with um, one gig. That was the first Mac we had. It's a 20-inch first-gen Intel. And um, it shipped with 512, but we actually had put in it, the day we purchased it, another gig. So it actually had one and a half to start with. I dread to think how slow it would actually have been with just the half it shipped with originally. But uh, good to hear it made a difference. It did, and it also seems to have made a difference on uh, running Windows, dare I say oh, it. Oh, no. But uh, more of that shortly. Oh, Windows. But it was definitely worth spending the time taking a couple of days out. Um, and I think you said to me, you know, you can be up and running within an hour or two, certainly for, for doing the basics. You know, it might take longer if you want to put Creative Suite on, Um but certainly for doing the basics. But, you know, if you think about it, you buy the Mac, you bring it home, you switch it on, and you're up and running within minutes anyway. Yeah, it is pretty quick. Um, I've had the misfortune of having to reinstall OS ten countless times in the last couple of months for uh, reasons that will become apparent shortly. Um, and I've got it down to about 25 minutes with, with a tailing wind. So um, you can actually be up and running like in less than half an hour. Um, even doing a complete wipe and, and install. Of course, there's the little things that you forget aren't actually part of OS X. And you start trying to use Quicksilver or LaunchBar, or you're looking for default folder and it's not there. So getting those things on in some sensible order takes a little bit longer. That actually sounds like me at work on a Windows machine looking for Quicksilver and default folder. I was on a Tiger machine today and I clicked on a file and pressed the spacebar. I wondered why nothing happened, and then I remembered. <laughs> so I can only imagine what working on Windows is like when nothing at all works. What would, what would be good, actually, is if Snow Leopard actually had some of these features built in. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying kill off the developers, but uh, if, it, if you had those features built in, then at least you, know, you don't even have to think about them the second nature. True, but I, I think um, third-party developers take actually more notice of the users and give you far more options than um, an operating system builder probably could or would want to. Although I have heard they're putting a lot of, um, of those little tweak type things in Snow Leopard, so we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and see what we get. But onto yeah. Windows, you've been playing with Windows? Yeah, one of the one of the problems I had was I set up um, a Vista uh, image on VMware Fusion and then stuck Office 2007 on top of it. And I thought, uh, this is going to run okay. That was on a, on a laptop with a MacBook with 2 gig of RAM. And even giving the laptop as much RAM as I could, it actually just ran like a lame dog. It was, it was unusable. It really was unusable. Um, I'd switch it on, it would take 10 minutes to actually, or, or even longer, to actually boot up. The fans would come on, the hard drive would be whizzing around. It was actually worse than a proper Windows machine. So one of the things I've done um, is I've taken a base image that I had uh, of Fusion, which was an XP image, and I've stuck uh, Office 2007 on that. Uh, and that seems to work a lot, lot better. Uh, didn't you have a Windows XP Office 2003 image as well? I did, but that sadly died. So I think we need that funeral march music again. Uh, yeah, um, I was just working on it one day. I think I know what it was. I was uh, I was running Windows updates. That's what <laughs> it was. Only got yourself to blame then. Mm, Do explain what happened. Running Windows updates and then suddenly I got one of those kernel panics. You know where the screen went... Uh, and obviously it's hard to, to illustrate this on an audio podcast, but it kind of goes... Zzzz. You mean the kernel panic and the black blind That's that right. appears from the top to the bottom of the screen? That's right, yeah. Usually accompanied with very flowery language. It it just died on me and it, it literally got corrupted. It wouldn't let me do anything. So I, I had to actually delete it in the end. So I thought, you know, forget this. Uh, I've actually got already another uh, image on Fusion. I'll use that. This would be your system admin telling you constantly to back these things up, wouldn't it? Mm. See, one of the problems with uh, using Windows at all, um, and especially in virtual machines, 
is you can't deactivate. So if you want to install it again, you've only got your limited number of licenses before they won't let you install it at all. And you have to go down the route of ringing them up and, and generally pestering. So um, it's not good news if an image dies, but if you've got a copy of that image, then it can't tell the difference. Actually, I have got an image uh, copy. Um, it's just that I've uh, got a lack of trust in parallels. Mm, there's that about it as well. I've never had an image actually die like that. I've had lots of issues, but not that one. So that's a new one there. Yeah, you don't actually use Parallels or Fusion now, do you? Uh, no, I did have it on uh, my laptop. I got two versions of Parallels and Fusion. So I had it on my laptop and I had it on my desktop. Um, when my desktop died, uh, it was a case of getting up a machine that was working with just enough software to be functional and um, Parallels Fusion and Windows didn't come into that league at all so I didn't bother reinstalling it. I've been on my temporary machine for um, over two months now so um, I can say I've definitely not run Windows in two months. I don't think I've run Windows since before Christmas so um, and I don't need to. There's no longer, not even one single piece of software that I need to run Windows for. So I'm not going to. One of the real annoyances I found with having Fusion or Parallels on your system at all, even if you didn't use it, if you made the decision it was there if you needed it as an emergency and you'd built it up and it was there, one of the big annoyances was the applications turn up in the right click open with. And there's a tiny little logo next to them if it's parallel, so you know it's Windows. But your eye just sees the, the um, icon for QuickTime, say, and you've clicked it before you know. And you're into parallels and you're waiting for 10 minutes while it thinks about it. So I can honestly say I'm Windows free and I've not missed it. Yeah, I used to, to find that if somebody sent me, say, a, a PowerPoint file, I'd drag it out of the email onto the desktop and, and you know, just second nature, I'd double click on it. Um, thinking that, well, not thinking that, but I want to open it in, in open office or something like that, and it would start parallels, and I'd just end up right-click, uh, quit application, quit um, killing parallels before it had even got going. But you do still have some Windows software, I don't do. you? I um, do. I use Captivate uh, to create a screen, um, screen captures, little screen videos, and uh, also Adobe Presenter, which we use for some of our presentations. Yes, that's a very unfortunate one presenter. Um, it's a good piece of software, bit niche. What it does, it's a, an add-in or plug-in for um, PowerPoint and it converts a, a normal general PowerPoint file into a format that Acrobat Connect can understand. So when we run an online event, uh, you can upload the slides and the benefit is supposedly your slides are on the server, so you're not taking up your bandwidth by showing them live. But because I use Keynote, um, it's a long and hideous process to get the slides out of Keynote as graphics, back into Keynote, back out of Keynote as a PowerPoint presentation, through OpenOffice, because I need to put timings on it, send it over to you. You have to run Parallels, you have to open, uh, transfer the file, open PowerPoint and finally run Presenter. Uh, you then had to add silence to it, didn't you, to get some um, timings correct. Pass it back to me and then upload it. Uh, it's just too long-winded. So um, we've ditched that totally. I think that we? deserves a blog post of its own, that process. It does, actually. It's a long, convoluted one. But, you know, we've, we've had... We've been at it long enough, haven't we, to know that that really is the mm. only way. Um, there was a lot, lot of gotchas along the way, and um, we learnt as we went along what was not going to work, even though it should have done. And um, yeah, I shall put a blog post together for that. I thought the uh, the ins the using the silences was uh, was quite interesting. Cre Completely inspired on your yeah, part. Create that was. creating M was it MP3s. It was blank MP3s, wasn't it? Silent MP3s. Yeah, and, and that was just to control the the timings. Yeah, but I'd already gone through in Keynote and put the timings. When yeah, because it strips it, it them didn't out. Take, take it with them. It took them out. I then went into Open Office and put them back in. And then when, when you took the file through and converted it again for the third time, it stripped them out. And uh, there is no way to add timings other than to put in silence. And then what happens is you, you play the slide and it plays the silence. So the slide stays on the screen for the duration of the MP3 file, which is I mean, it's an ingenious way of dealing with it. But dear, dear me, it shouldn't happen, should it? No. 
So, on to me. Um, what have I been doing? Well, in an ad addition to nursing myself back to health, um, I've been nursing a sick Mac, as everybody who follows me on Twitter will know. A short version is the iMac died a sad and drawn out death, just not as drawn out as the repair has proved to be. Um, so I was in need of a temporary Mac and I bought myself a Mac Mini. This was just after the revisions were announced, so um, I'd fancied a Mac Mini for a while, um, but I'd steered away from it because I thought, well, you know, compared to an iMac, it's going to be underpowered. Um, and the iMac's just so nice. But I did fancy it as um, a sort of media centre type utility machine. So um, needing in being in need of some sort of Mac, I got myself this Mini. And um, yes, the price had gone up, but so had the spec. And I upgraded it myself, so pellet knife in hand, I um, went in there, all guns blazing. I upgraded the RAM and the hard drive. And it's working brilliantly well. It's a great machine. Um, running it how I intended, um, which is in headless mode, which means without a monitor, a keyboard or a mouse, proved to be more challenging than I expected. Um, I had problems with it demanding a keyboard and mouse, which I dealt with reasonably simply. But then I came across this problem that was ridiculous. I um, wanted to be able to burn DVDs with it. Uh, to, to back up. So really I intend long term, when my iMac is returned to full health, to um, use it as a sort of server. So I'm going to take a lot of the external drives I have on my iMac and put them on the Mini and use it as a sort of small server. So it needs to have the ability to burn DVDs because I want to back up to DVD and the data will be on that machine. So um, I installed Toast. And it installed perfectly well, no problems at all. Uh, this was after I'd sorted out the keyboard and mouse issue. And I double clicked it to run it and it started bouncing away in the dock. And it stayed bouncing away in the dock and then it shut down. And I thought, did I just see that bounce in the dock? So I double clicked again, make sure. And it did the same again. And I thought, how strange. So I thought it was obviously just a blip because I know this software works and it seems to have worked well for me. Um, I didn't upgrade to 9 or 10, so I am a couple of years behind, but even so, you know, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. And there's nothing wrong with Toast 8. It burns discs, that's fine. Um, but no, it just repeatedly did that. So I app zapped it and started again. Same thing happened. So I thought, this is bizarre. You know, what on earth could be the matter with this? It works perfectly on a, on a different machine. It just would not work on this machine. And then I thought, well, what's the difference between the two machines? They've got exactly the same OS on them. Um, admittedly, one had more software on than the new one, but that would be that should make it easier to run a piece of software on the newer machine. And then it hit me, but I thought, no, it could not possibly be that, because it's ridiculous. All I need to make Toast work surely is a DVD, and uh, of course the Mini has a perfectly good DVD. Um, I was thinking, there's no monitor on it. Do I actually physically have to have a monitor connected? for toast to run and I thought don't be ridiculous but I actually have the box being anal as I am I've still got the box and I took the box down and I looked at the requirements and no it did not mention a monitor of any description and I thought there must be sysadmins all over the place trying to run toast in headless mode so surely not but I thought fair enough I'll play along with you and I plugged a monitor in just to see and yes if there was physically a monitor attached it worked perfectly which isn't good, because it means where would I put the monitor? I have no need to, to have a monitor in it. You could actually have the monitor turned off and access it remotely, and that was fine. But it physically had to have a monitor attached to it. Ludicrous. So I thought, well, I have to Google this one. Um, and people were complaining about this issue. So I'm not alone. There are plenty of others that are complaining. Uh, but they were complaining about Toast 9. So it hadn't been fixed in Toast 9. I couldn't get any information out there about Toast 10. Was it fixed? But if they hadn't fixed it in 9, I can't see any retrospective fixes coming for my version. And Toast is one of those products where I don't like the upgrade tax. They bring out new versions regularly at Macworld every year. Um, and there's very few features you can actually add to something that burns a disc. If it burns a disc, it burns a disc. Um, so I think the upgrades that they bring out, they might be nice haves if you burn hundreds of discs and you're, you're moving on to uh, Blu-ray discs or whatever. But considering you only get a very slim reduction, 
um, I've just never upgraded it. I think it's ludicrous. Um, so I hadn't upgraded. I looked at 10 and I thought, no, I just don't think there are any killer features. And yet again, um, human interface guidelines seem to be completely ignored. It looks like Fisher-Price made the interface. So uh, I hadn't bothered. And one of the problems, another problem with Toast is I would have probably paid for the upgrade um, if I knew for sure it would work, but there's no trial. So I can go to Toast site and I can buy it and I can get the princely sum of £15 off because I already own Toast 8. But I've got no guarantee that the thing would work at all. So um, I didn't bother and I actually found, um, I went looking for other burning software. And uh, it's all in a blog post that I've written, so I'll put a link to the blog post. But uh, to summarise it, I already had um, alternative software, one called Disco, and it that worked well a few years ago. I uh, don't know why, but that wouldn't run either. Um, so I couldn't use that one. But I did find a really good one called Burn, just simply called Burn. And it was free and um, that's taken the place of Toast for me. Runs headless, runs fast, very, very impressed with it. So um, Toast is, as they say, Toast and uh, I'm happily using Burn. So I'll, I'll put a link in that to the show notes. But uh, yeah, that was my long, complicated, hideous story for something that should have been incredibly simple. Just take the monitor off the thing. But anyway, moving on. It's that time of year again, all together. iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. 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 Yeah, it's WWDC coming up in just a matter of days from when we're recording this. So what you been doing with your iPhone? What apps have you been playing with? I've been playing with a few apps. Um, a few of the apps that I've uh, installed lately have actually come from uh, recommendations on Twitter rather than me uh, going out to the App Store. Um, and they're free. Uh, the one of them is called Email and Walk. Now... I do quite a lot of walking with the dog and as I'm walking along I tend to do things like read my email and read Twitter and I want to make sure I don't uh, walk into any uh, dog poop. Let's uh, <laughs> be nice about that word. Uh, I don't walk into to anything else either. Uh, and there's, there's this app and what it does is it uses the camera. Uh, so if you've got the iPhone facing down towards the floor uh, you could be sending an email and uh, writing your email and you can actually see on the screen uh, behind the email screen uh, what's actually on the floor in front of you would i be writing thinking that that would be the dog's backside it would and uh, oh lovely i took a screenshot and i'll put that along with a, a blog post on my blog so uh, you... the dog the dog will divorce you as his parent for putting that, that live online i'm sure but i won't tell mind. him if you won't no sure he won't mind um, it didn't stop me walking into a branch, though. Well, what can I say? But I think what would be more use for you would be um, Twitter and walk. Mm, Twitter and walk. Yes. There's an idea for an app. Yeah, uh, because I do spend a lot of time on Twitter when I'm out, apart from when it's raining, because obviously I don't like to get my iPhone wet. No, you wouldn't want to have to go and use Apple Care, would you? No. 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 More about that later. Mm. Another app I've got, um, yes, you all know that I like apps that make noises. You big kid. Mm. Although I don't have iFart, so I haven't got that far. The windy apps. Mm, the windy apps. This no, one... but you did have that one that made a, a kindling sound as things burnt, which I still haven't recovered from yet. Mm. If, if the sound of burning isn't accompanied by a smoke alarm, I'm concerned. You know, I haven't used that app since you... Uh... Made that comment on the since last, I freaked out about the last it. <laughs> the thing is, it was one of those auto suggestion things. As soon as I could hear the noise of, of something burning, I started to smell it. So, yes, it, that wasn't good. That is a banned app. I'd rather you bought the other one, the Windy app. Mm. Well, this app that I'm going to talk about now, we've christened uh, it Bongs on the Hour. Oh my word. And that's because when I showed it to you and you laughed at me, I said, Put it Bongs on the Hour. Yes, you see, small things amuse small minds. It's a free app, and I think I think Stephen Fry tweeted it last week. Oh, I must have missed that one. Yeah, uh, it's called Big Ben, and it's free, and it's to celebrate the anniversary of Big Ben. 
oh, so there is actually a, f- a purpose behind mm. it. Oh, well, I might take a little bit of that back yeah. then. So what, but there again, having heard it, it's incredibly annoying. What you do is you run the app and the whole screen shows uh, Big Ben and you go into the properties. Uh, you can have a little digital clock, which obviously isn't on the original Big Ben, but this is the iPhone version. You can have it tick-tocking as well, which I know is annoying you intensely. Yes, incredibly annoying. I like quiet. I like absolute silence when I'm working. And you can have it bonging on the hour. That's the thrilling part, isn't it? Mm. It bongs on the hour. Mm. Now, of course, when I tested it at one o'clock in the morning, it only bonged once. This was because you missed nine, ten, eleven and midnight. Mm. So eleven o'clock in the morning this morning, I thought I've got to get my iPhone. Two minutes to eleven, got to get my iPhone. And turn Big Ben on. Of course, it only works if the app is running, so you've got to remember to run the app. Bit futile, but carry on. Oh, God, I'm sad, aren't I? <laughs> I'm afraid so. And how many times did it bong at 11 o'clock, dear? 11. <laughs> oh, lovely. Fantastic, what an app. Uh, right. So what else have you been using that's possibly fractionally more useful? Well, on paper it was useful. It's an app called Mover. Oh, yes. But you need two iPhones to try that. Yeah, with a Wi-Fi connection between them, which is Which we had. Well, we didn't in the car park this afternoon. No, that was a bad idea, wasn't it? But when we were testing it originally, we did have. We had everything it needed. Two iPhones, uh, Wi-Fi connections. They were both on the same network. And you tried to, um, isn't it, flick to transfer? Yeah, you you, you take a a file that you want to move from uh, from one iPhone to another and you just flick it across the screen towards the name of the second iPhone and it's supposed to move it to the iPhone. Sadly, it didn't move me. No. I could not see you. I could not see the file that you'd transferred. So I think that one was a big, big failure. Mm. You had a big failure this week as well, didn't you, with uh, an iPhone? I did, yes. Uh, my father's got an iPhone and he wanted to know how many minutes he had left. Well, obviously he can log into the O2 website. Um, but the O2 website, you've got to delve quite deeply to actually just get your allowance up on the screen. And I thought, I don't want him to log in and, and end up buying something. So it would be far easier if I could get um, details of what he's got left in terms of his inclusive minutes and texts sent to the phone. So uh, first thing I did was um, try and find a phone number that you could text to and uh, maybe they text you back. And yes, there is. So we'll put details of that in the show notes. And that worked perfectly. But what I thought was, um, it would be easier still if there was um, an application on the web, uh, on the phone itself, that you just open the app and it told you that. That was exactly what I found. Um, I can't now. I think I actually searched it. Yeah, I had my iPhone with me and I, I went to it. And in the utilities section of the iTunes store, there was an app called Mobile Allowance. And it looked perfect. It was only 59 pence. So I presume that's 99 cents in the States, uh, if there's anything similar for AT&T. And it connected to the O2 website and gave you exactly that information in a lovely visual form. So there I am busily telling my father that this was a killer app for him. This was what he needed to buy. And we went to his iMac, logged on to the iTunes store, put in mobile allowance and we couldn't find it. And I thought, well, it's on mine. So I opened mine again, and yes, it was still there. So I tried on his phone, and no, it wasn't available there. You tried on your phone and couldn't find it. So we had to start searching on the internet to find out that O2 had changed their website, and they'd obviously changed the back end of how it worked, and this application no longer worked. So the developer had pulled it from the store. Um, With it not working at that point, it would have been pretty bad form to be actually selling it. So he'd pulled it from the store and it shouldn't have been there. And it certainly wasn't there um, in my version of iTunes, your version of iTunes, on your phone, on my father's phone. But it was stubbornly appearing on my iPhone and I could buy it. So um, I've got no idea what was going on there. But uh, we'd got all the same software on the iPhones and all the same connections. So theoretically, we should have seen the same search results. But no matter how many times I searched for it on my phone, it appeared. It just didn't appear on anybody else's. But I didn't buy it, so I don't know whether it would have stopped me. But uh, yes, the mysterious missing app. That would have been great. But uh, no, he's had to... Um, you send a text, I think it's... Um, is it 2202? I think it is. 
think it's 2202 and you just uh, text the word bundle and uh, it sends you the information back so that's what we're doing at the moment with that so uh, that was nearly an app we purchased but not quite they missed out on that one but uh, apparently the um, developers working on it and maybe it will make a return um, I think if I was going to buy that app though I think I'd search on a couple of iTunes and a couple of phones just to make sure it is actually available because you might end up buying it and it doesn't work so um, that's one that we shall come back to in the future if it if it ever returns in a working way but moving on big changes to one-to-one um, -one, which is the training scheme that um, Apple Retail run and uh, I actually used one-to-one -one for two years I was subscribed to that um, what it used to, well, what it was when I signed up for it, um, it was called ProCare. That was in 2006, and uh, it included quite a lot. It costs, I think it was, I think it was 79 pounds at the time. And as part of your ProCare, uh, you got preferential treatment for uh, repairs, which, in hindsight, might be quite useful. Um, and the one-to-one -one aspect was personal training with a creative, um, an Apple Store creative. Uh, you could have an hour a week. Uh, there was also incidental things like um, they would transfer your data if you were transferring from machines. Uh, you could book an appointment and they would do that for you. Um, and there was an annual checkup for your machine as well. So a bit of a tune-up every year. So it was, it was fantastic value. Towards the end of my first year, they split the scheme completely uh, and it became ProCare and one-to-one. And the thing was, both halves of it were £79. So in effect, they double the price. Um, I looked at what you got for it and I decided I didn't really need the ProCare aspect to it. Um, I had the ludicrous idea that um, if I had AppleCare, they deal with things in a timely manner. Yes, I know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, but I don't really see that you should have to pay £79 more for a service where I wasn't going to need them to transfer data and an annual tune-up is pretty irrelevant. I'm certainly not going to take a machine in just so they can dust it. So um, I didn't bother with that one, but I did keep the one-to-one -one. and initially the one-to-one -one was fantastic. Um, as a new Mac user, I had lots and lots of questions and um, I, I would exhaust my creative when I went in. And um, within a couple of weeks, it was, um, well, let's get our heads together and work on it together because the questions I had were like beyond what they could really answer. Um, and it was only a creative. You couldn't book an hour with a genius. If you had a question that was very technical and they needed a genius, you actually had to book that as a hardware appointment and you could only get 20 minutes. Um, what I found was if I had a couple of technical questions, they'd find a genius and um, he'd answer the questions for me. So uh, I thought it was a really good scheme and it was really one of those things that set Apple Retail apart from virtually every other store. Um, it was really the concierge service and just fantastic service. It also meant that you were having people return to the store probably on a weekly basis and I know when I went in it was well I'm going to the Apple store anyway so I might as well buy whatever I want from there even if it was a little bit more expensive because you know it saved me time so um certainly in terms of getting people into the store it was a great system and what they've done now is they've changed the system again um, and now you can only subscribe to one-to-one -one at the point of sale when you buy a, a Mac so it's really now only going to be for new users. If you're already a subscriber, uh, you can subscribe twice more, I believe. Um, and then you're going to need to buy a new Mac if you want to carry on going. So um, I'm not too sure about that at all. You have to buy the Mac from there or online or from... Uh, do, do resellers count? I think they do, don't I they? I believe they do. I believe they do. But something I was reading yesterday was that if you buy a refurbished Mac, I don't think that counts. Yeah, so I'm saying it's starting to, um, I mean, obviously they're diluting it and they've been diluting it for the last two to three years. And I can understand why, because one of the things I found was you can only have one one to one appointment booked. So I used to go in on a Friday somewhere between 11 to two in the afternoon. Um, so I would book, say, 11 o'clock on, on Friday and I couldn't book another appointment until that appointment had been closed. And by the time 12 o'clock came and you went over to the concierge desk to book another one, it was booked solid. Now, I really think they've only got themselves to blame for that because they gave away, um, I think it was a month or two months worth, of one-to-one -one with the first-gen iPhone. 
So you'd got all these people buying iPhones who were given free one-to-one -one for 30 or 60 days. And that the system just couldn't cope. The stores aren't meant to have that many people in them. Um, taking up a Mac, just it's just too too many people, too many people. So it was difficult to book an appointment, um, and there just there just wasn't a room, and I don't think they had the staff either. So maybe not such a good idea to to give that away free. Maybe just one appointment would have been better. But uh, I think at that stage it was a victim of its own success. I think it's carried on that way though. People are saying that one of the problems was that they just could not book appointments. Um, they did send out some questionnaires when I was still in the scheme, which was asking about online training. Would you like an online element to it, which they have now added to it? But I don't think personally an online aspect takes the place of going in an Apple store and that personal relationship. And as it says, one to one. Another thing they've done is you can now um, have a three hour appointment and work on a project. But I did notice somewhere that it's talking about that up to three people can go in on that. So um, I also know they're running things like very small workshops. So um, it's more of a workshop situation rather than a personal appointment. So I, I don't think the changes are particularly in the favour of the customers there. I think um, victim of their own success there. They can't call it a one-to-one -one with small groups either, can they? No, but they did seem to want to be moving that way. Because obviously, if you've got three people in, even if they are in for three hours, you only need one creative. Mm. Um, if you've got three people in for three separate hour appointments at the same time, you need three. You also need space in the store and three machines. So uh, these, these stores, they're just not big enough for that kind of thing. The Regent Street store is a totally different matter with their theatre and, and things. But the local stores just aren't big enough and they can't cope with that. And so I think it's a big shame. It was obviously costing them money, but um, it, it was part of the service. That was it. It was what set them apart. You know if you go in Harrods, you're going to pay more. But you want that level of service or you wouldn't be there. And that was what it was like with Apple. And I think that's quite sad. Because when you buy a Mac, um, I know when I buy a new Mac, I don't particularly want to be forking out extra for things like Apple Care straight away. So what I tend to do is wait. Um, I don't really want to think to myself when I buy a laptop at £2,000 and that'll be 300 for the Apple Care, please. Um, I tend to leave it and then as it heads towards its first birthday, I will buy the Apple Care on it. Um, with this, you've got to buy it at the point of purchase. Now, I'm sure they'll explain it and I'm sure they'll push it. But I still think people budget um, for the price of the machine. And they're not going to go in and you're going to, I know what Apple are going to do. They're going to be trying to sell you mobile me and they're going to be trying to sell you ProCare. And now they'll be trying to sell you one to one. And of course, the thing is, there is the urgency to it, which is you've got to buy it today or you won't get it. And maybe people will go for it, new Mac users. But um, I think they'll, they'll lose the people who are using a Mac. And I think that's quite sad. I think another problem was, uh, well, you mentioned it before, uh, difficulty getting appointments, but it's uh, for a lot of people, they, they want or they need the appointment outside their work hours. Uh, I mean, you're, you're lucky working for yourself, you can pick and choose when to go, but a lot of people it would have to be weekends or it would have to be in the evenings. And, um, yeah, there's that about it too. I mean, if it was busy during the day, so I can only imagine how bad it was in the evenings and weekends. Well, we've been well, we've been in the Apple Store, haven't we? Weekends and oh, many times lately. Yeah. Yes, now you mention it, mm. and it is. It's always mad busy. It it is, and the, there's a bar now at the back. They've they've moved it, and um, yes, it's always busy. It is always busy, but I still think it's a great shame because I think it was a level of service that. Um, did actually work. The only thing I will say is when I very first started, the level of creative was excellent. You had people who had worked in their respective industries for many years. Uh, maybe you'd have a designer who'd worked at it for 15, 20 years um, or a video editor who'd done the same or a musician. Um, and as time went on, they seemed to, I won't say get sacked, but, you know, they moved on. They weren't there any longer. And the replacements were much younger, much less experienced. Um, and really, I, I got the feeling, which was why in the end um, I, I didn't resubscribe to the service. I got the feeling they were a couple of pages ahead of you in the manual. Um, and as a trainer myself, I can sense that. I can sense it a mile off. Um, 
and I made the decision that no, uh, the creative I had for two years was absolutely brilliant. And um, yes, I befuddled him on many occasions, but um, bless his heart, he always tried and um, he always came back fighting and asking for more. And uh, he moved stores. So um, I decided that it probably wasn't, you know, it, it, it take, even though the, the Trafford Centre store, which was the one I went to, was very close. Um, it still takes quite a chunk out of your working day. So um, uh, it must have been about 20, 22 months after getting a Mac, I decided that I probably didn't need to go in anymore. But I was going to make a point about the online aspect to it. Um, obviously, I've not seen it, so I don't know precisely what they're offering. But once they get into the online training sphere, they've got a lot of competition. Um, if you are into creative uh, stuff, you've got Kelby Training and they offer all sorts of online courses. You've got lynda.com, you've got Total Training. There are lots of established companies in that arena that, quite frankly, I think would take you to a higher level than the one-to-one. -one. And um, I do think it's a loss to the store. The whole point of it to me was to go in the store, to get people in the store and provide a level of service that was like a boutique service rather than PC World, it's a box, shift it. Um, I'm not into that kind of service at all. But um, maybe what they should do is instigate one-to-one -one in the little Apple stores that are in PC World because they're always empty. There's plenty of bench room there. They, they could uh, offer the service in there. That might work. You never know. Anyway, that's my little rant about one-to-one. -one. A great shame because it was good service, that. And uh, I'm glad it was there when uh, I moved to a Mac because it certainly added to the experience. But, 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 while um, they're jiggery pokering with their prices... Um, software prices, a couple of things this week. There are two bundles available at the moment from Mac Update. Um, I'm not buying because pretty much I've got the software that's in it, but there's a couple of good things in there. Um, you're going to love this one. Parallels 4 is in there. I'll have Parallels 4. Yes, you're thrilled though, aren't you? Mm. And um, one of my favourites, which is Circus Pony's Notebook. And even if you just wanted those two, um, those two separately would cost more than the price of the bundle so it's definitely worth a look um, those were the two that i picked out there's lots of other software available i think they've just added two extra products to it as well but those are the two that caught my eye because i did use parallels i don't use it anymore and um, circus ponies notebook i've used ever since i got my mac but i don't think you do do you no it was one of those things where i always had the the good intention of, of using it just really as um, an electronic notebook. I know you use it for, for a lot, lot, lot more. Um, but my, my idea is just to use it as an electronic notebook. But, you know, sometimes the low-tech solution can be quicker and better if you just want to scribble a quick note. So I'm ashamed to say I do have a little pad of paper next to my desk. Oh, the shame. <laughs> um, I must admit... I, I checked out two applications when I got a Mac and really it was the look of them. I thought, you know, I've seen notebook applications and in inverted commas on Windows and they were very clunky. The only one that I used and um, thought this has potential uh, it was pretty much a version one was OneNote. And I did think OneNote was a very good um, product from Microsoft. And I was looking for something similar. And I think it was the interface of, of Circus Pony's Notebook and another one um, called NoteTaker. And they do look very, very similar. And I trialled them both um, for the duration of their trials. And I went with Circus Pony's Notebook in the end. I felt the support was better. The forum was more active. Um, but what sealed the deal for me was um, in the forum there are people who offer to share their templates and one of the problems I was finding with notebook was yes it's very simple to get going it looks like a notebook and they, you know you can get animated pages as they turn over but the formatting was so primitive I was unsure of you know how to make it look nice and, and work for me in a visual way which was important because you know, you've got all this animation and it, it is physically a notebook, so I want it to look like I want it to look. And there, there didn't seem to be styles that worked in the way my brain worked. So uh, I went searching the forum and um, there's a guy in Australia called Peter who made um, like a daily journal. And uh, it's a template that he sends to you via email. It's not available to download because he likes the hands-on approach and he likes to know how many people he sent it out to every year. And um, I, this was the middle of 2006, so um, 
I, I took a, a hope and thinking, well, you know, it's six months since he posted that. Maybe he'll still send it. And he did. And um, just looking at that template gave me a lot more idea of what I could do with Notebook than even the help file did. So um, I used a variation of um, his daybook journal type template. Um, and I, just, I use it every day. It really has a sort of journal come um, things that I want to remember. I know I've got stuff in my calendar and I can look back at that. But this really now, it goes back three years. And sometimes somebody will say to me, when did we do that? And I'll think, oh, it was June or May time. And I recently looked one up and I thought, oh, it was last May, of course, 2008. And it wasn't. It was the year before. And that's the kind of thing that I have in this um, journal come daybook thing of mine. So I do use it every single day and it's a product that I do love. I don't use it as much as I thought I would for different files, though. I do just have this single file and everything goes in there. But um, it's one of those products I wouldn't like to live without. And uh, I had trouble when I came to upgrade to version 3. Uh, one of my version 2 files was not playing ball at all. And I did think at the time, you know, I can't be doing with this. I can't do with software that doesn't work. And I know I could stick with the old version, but how long is the old version going to work? And what happens when Snow Leopard comes out? So really, it was either going to work with version 3 or it wasn't. And um, I sent videos and screenshots of all my problems to the developer. And um, he took his time with it, but he did actually fix all my problems. So um, I, I did try other software in, in the interim. And all that happened was I got completely lost and confused with it and I couldn't find my information. So I'm glad to say that um, all my issues are fixed with it and I'm happily using it again. And as people probably know by now, I use an awful lot of software and that, that's just one more. And there is another bundle as well, the Mac Bundle Bundle. That's a good name, isn't it? Mm. The Bundle Bundle. <laughs> and there's a couple of good ones in there as well. Um, again, I probably won't buy because I've, I've pretty much got everything that I want. But the two that caught my eye there were Default Folder and Huda Spot, or Howda Spot, depending on how you say it. Um, I love Default Folder. It was one of those apps, I had one on Windows called um, Filebox Extender. And it does exactly what Default Folder does. And I knew about Default Folder even before I got a Mac, because the developer of Filebox Extender um, had it on his site that said, if you use a Mac, no, I don't develop for the Mac, this is what you need. So it's one of those things that I went looking for when I got a Mac. And um, it's one of those little utilities. You hardly notice it's there, but oh boy, do you notice when it's not. So when I rebuilt my Mac, I was clicking around when it should have been selecting folders. You know, if you use default folder, you'll know that. And it didn't work. And I thought, oh, the operation system's broken. And then I remembered, no, you need to install it. So um, default folder is really fantastic. And um, I love Hoodaspot as well. But which one do you use? Uh, I don't use Hoodaspot. I know, you, well, you just said you use it. I use mm. default folder, which I find invaluable, uh, particularly where you've got a, a finder window open or you want to just click on the desktop just to save a file to that folder where you're currently uh, pointing to a different folder. Exactly. It's one of those deceptive apps. It can do an awful lot. And the more time you spend configuring it, uh, the more time it will save you mm. and when I started I was using it like you you know I had a file open um, a folder open and I just wanted to click on it but um, there's an icon in the uh, menu bar as well and you can actually click on that and you go to favorites and recently use folders and if you can remember to do it that will save you a lot of time as well uh, Huda Spot is um, Spotlight on steroids so uh, I love that because I do have an awful lot of data. So uh, if you don't have that software, then um, we'll put the links in the show notes for those because I think they're well worth it. But I mention those specifically because I think the developers of those apps realise that being part of these bundle deals, it does at least get your software um, under the eyeballs of people who otherwise might not try them. Um, and they're prepared to take, obviously, they're not getting the same remuneration from a license under a promo as they would from a, just a general sale. But they're willing to do that. And um, I think they should be applauded for that. Whether you agree with bundles or not or whatever, I think, you know, if they've decided that's what they're prepared to do, then kudos to them. I'd like to draw a comparison between them who are prepared to take less for the software, especially in these hard times where... Um, we are in a recession, as everybody keeps telling us, and they seem to use it as an excuse for everything. Big comparison between developers like that and Adobe. Um, they 
released a press release last week talking about, and I quote, realigning their UK prices. And I thought, oh, brilliant, about time. There's a big difference between what you pay in dollars in the States and what you pay here. And yes, I'm discounting the VAT in that. So I thought realignment, just what we need. And I read on and it said it was across the whole of Europe and prices were going up here and down there and whatever. And I came to the UK bit and nearly fell off the chair. The realignment they're talking about is they're putting the prices up 10%. Not on, is it? I was speechless. I couldn't believe it. I thought, hmm, you've been pretty quick to do that. You're never that fast to put them down. So I know we've had um, the pound pretty weak against the dollar lately, but um, I I think that's bad. You can't say you're in a recession and you need to sell more software and then put the price up 10%. So uh, I'm not happy with that at all. Um, if you want to buy it, I suggest you do so before the 1st of July because that's when the price increase comes in. But um, we both have master collection don't we and we have the full version so this was not an upgrade this was a full version um, and you've got a desktop and a laptop and i've got a desktop and a laptop and because it's activated software you can only have it on two machines so we can't buy one copy and surreptitiously share it uh, yes you can deactivate and have it on other machines but you can only activate and deactivate 20 times before they want to know why so it's not viable to do that on a regular basis. And the full master collection is £2,264.35. And we need two of them. So you're looking at around the 5000 mark, almost, about 4006 Um, An upgrade slightly cheaper, you'll be pleased to know, at £914.25. But it's still nearly £2,000 for two people to use a piece of software. And I remember when I went looking at the prices um, to purchase originally, there is some weird stuff going on that if you elect to have the product shipped to you, it's £2,264. If you choose to have it downloaded, yes, that would be downloaded at um, your ISP's bandwidth. That actually costs £130 more. So they're not shipping you physically anything, but to download it costs you £130 more. So it's nearly £2,400, which um, takes some explaining, doesn't it? Uh, I've got a lot of clients that use that and it's like, well, we'll download it. It'll be cheaper if we don't buy the book. It's how much dearer? Why? And I'm really put on the spot because I don't know. Maybe there is some reason, but I don't know what that is. So um, Cost of server maintenance. It could be, but surely that's not going to cost them the same as having a product in a box and discs printed and you know dvd boxes made and stuff i just don't see the difference myself i think at a minimum it should be the same price but there's usually a lot of places you see it don't you with them shareware manufacturers they will ship you the product on a disc but they might charge you ten dollars for it mm. but to charge you more to download it is ridiculous if every software developer took that approach we'd all be bankrupt wouldn't we i think adobe have their own rules don't they i mean there's there's the real exchange rate and there's the adobe exchange rate for a start well there always has been yes and it's always very disappointing when there's a, a new version of the software out and you know i'm an adobe user group manager and i want to talk about the software and i want to talk about the features of the software because you know th the software can't be beaten if it could it wouldn't be the one everybody wants and uh, I want to talk about the features and all I ever get is, well, what's the price and, you know, what's the European surcharge? And I can't say anything. How can I defend that when the price difference on launch was something like $700, I think? I think we paid the equivalent of $700 more than the States. Um, and there, there is, when you look at blog posts, and I did actually contact Adobe about this because I thought, well, you know, I'm getting questions and I need to give intelligent answers that I can back up from somewhere and people were saying you know I've got a relative in the states can I buy it over there and then just give me the serial number or won't it work and a lot of you know speculation was going around the forums saying no it won't work um, that they're via they're by region uh, and the official line I got back was well no not really but um, you cannot go to amazon.com or any sort of reputable online establishment in the states and have them ship it to europe they won't do it 
So you'll find when you go to Amazon or wherever that they won't ship it. So really, I suppose if you do have a relative over there, they can buy a box off the shelf. Uh, you PayPal them the money and they can email you the serial number. But then if you don't know anybody in the States, then you won't be doing that. And that's really two tier pricing gone crazy. And I do find it very difficult to, to justify. And yes, there might be an official line from Adobe, but I must admit, standing in front of a group of people at a user group meeting and spouting, you know, corporate line, I find very, very difficult because I do think it's not justified. We're a global community now and the price should be the price. Price the thing out in dollars and let us worry about the exchange rate because that would certainly have worked out a lot cheaper when it was released. And um, now they're putting the price up. So crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, like I said, kudos to the developers that let us have software at a cost-effective price with sensible licensing. Um, I'm trying to think, I had a piece of software and I was so impressed with the licensing. The license was something like, um, you can have it, it's per person or per machine. But if it's per person and you happen to have 10 machines, that's fine you'd just pay for one license. And there is only me using these machines. The fact I've got quite a few of them is irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. And if the software is cost effective enough, then I will buy multiple licenses. Um, but, you know, I, I, I read it very carefully and I make my decision on um, an individual basis. I, I've seen software for $5 that I thought was quite good and I found out it was activated. And I thought, I'm sorry, but I'm not encouraging that. I only put activated software on that I don't have an alternative with. But if I have an alternative, then I will not use activated software. Because if your hard drive gets fried, uh, you, you're ringing around and you're emailing like crazy. So I think I've only got about three or four different applications that are activated because I just won't use it. I've had far too many machines uh, die a sad death on me and I just don't want to face what I'd have to face to recover serial numbers and stuff. So um, kudos to those developers who are very sensible and they're the ones that I will support. But I'm getting off my soapbox now and handing over to you for um, our upcoming events. We have events. Yeah, the Northwest Adobe User Group are having a meeting on June the 11th this week and you can join in live online as Elaine will be demonstrating CSS in Dreamweaver. Uh, you can find us on nwag.co.uk slash live and that will be at 20 hundred hours British summer time on Thursday June the 11th but we will be there from 1945 in the chat room yes so come along early and have a chat with us December the 19th six months away but uh, six months is a short time really Liverpool Tweet Up. Inspired by a Christmas trip home by one of our Twitter friends, we decided that it was about time to uh, meet up with each other and uh, invite a few others en route. So, uh, if you're interested, whether you live in the northwest and Liverpool area or if you fancy coming from a distance, I think we've, well, we, the people who are organising it, have already got about 10 people signed up. And that includes your friendly MapBytes team. So come along and uh, say hello. More information can be found on www.liverpooltweetup.co.uk. Right, so what's in our next show? Yes, there will be a next show and it will be relatively soon, which means quicker than eight months. And hopefully we shall have some exciting stuff from WWDC. Well, we're hoping so, but uh, we're not going to make any predictions, are we? We're not. No, no, no. Everybody does that. And uh, what we did was we went and looked back at what we'd hoped for last year, which was MacBytes episode nine. And it was um, iPhone, Snow Leopard and a tablet Mac. So it seems pretty much we're still waiting for most of it. So um, better luck this year, I, I think. Uh, we did get the iPhone, of course, but uh, the rest of it, we're still waiting. Uh, we're going to be online live for coverage of WWDC on Monday. Um, so if you fancy coming in, having a chat and uh, watching all the news come through live with us and uh, probably some of our Twitter chums who will come in and have a chat as well, then just go to uh, macbytes.co.uk slash live at uh, the appointed hour. I'll probably be there from about ooh, 17.30 British summer time if you fancy a chat. It'd be great to uh, have you along. So that's it for this episode of MacBytes, MacBytes The Return. As always, we would love to hear from you, uh, yet we do still need to know that you are out there, people. Um, so please send your questions, comments, queries, email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Uh, 
or send us an audio file and you can keep up with what we're up to at the website macbytes.co.uk and on Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. You can also subscribe to the RSS feed at macbytes.co.uk and we've alluded to it a fair number of times, my Mac and its sad demise. Um, I've put uh, a couple of posts on the blog so far and I intend to update that with all the latest gory details. So if you fancy, um, I wouldn't even say a trilogy, it's more of um, an epic drama turning into um, the length of Coronation Street probably, um, then please go to my website which is elainegiles.co.uk and um, bring yourself a tea, a cup of tea and sit down with your feet up and have uh, a good laugh. But until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you Mac Bites. So goodbye and see you next time. Bye.